Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond. From the Diamond is brought to you by Window Nation. Get two windows free with every two you buy and pay nothing for two years. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. These are the Kia Studios, and this is our number two of the show as we wrap up the weekend here on a Sunday and get you set for once ahead for the Atlanta Braves. We'll be talking all about the upcoming series against the Rockies and that little four-game set they've got against the Dodgers. I think folks are going to be talking about that one. We'll get to it a little bit later in the show right now, though. We are going to take our trip around the big leagues, and unfortunately we have to start out with some news that really nobody can possibly – you know, have been happy about and nobody, you know, really wanted to accept in some ways. But as is with injuries, you just kind of have to accept the unfortunate timing of them. And for Shohei Otani, I don't know that there's ever a good time or any pitcher for an injury, and there's not. Let me just go ahead and caveat that. But seeing what Shohei Otani has been able to do and now knowing that he's not going to be able to pitch again at least this year, that kind of uh, takes some of the fun out of what has been just an incredible, incredible season by one of the most incredible players that we'll ever see. The news, in case you missed it, a torn UCL for Otani. He's already undergone Tommy John surgery that happened back in 2018, but he has a tear in his ulnar collateral ligament in his right elbow, and that will, of course, keep him from pitching again this season. And it's unfortunately one of the stories that comes up over the course of the season, and we dealt with this in 2021 to an extent with Ronald Acuna Jr., of course. You know, torn ACL cost him the rest of his year. The crazy thing about Otani is, obviously, that he does not just – pitch in the fashion that he's one of the best on the mound in baseball. He's also perhaps one of, if not the best hitters in baseball, and he's going to keep hitting right on through this injury. And that is an absolutely crazy thing to think about. But uh, it was Wednesday that this happened, a Wednesday night in Anaheim, as Otani exited his game one start in a doubleheader against the Cincinnati Reds. He recorded just four outs through just 26 pitches. His fastball was down to 94 miles an hour, which, you know, is harder than I'll ever throw, but down significantly from what Otani's normal fastball velocity is. They took an MRI, and that revealed the tear. Uh, Perry Manassian, who's the general manager for the Los Angeles Angels, said they did not know the severity of it at that time. I think they're still discussing what exactly is going to be the route here, but as we know, and, and as I've talked to a lot of people just about you know torn UCLs and Tommy John surgery, if you have any percentage of a tear, meaning if your ligament is 99.7% intact, you still have a tear. And when you continue to pitch through it, you will continue to tear it more. And eventually, you're going to have to get the surgery. So you can rest it. You can rehab it. You can hope that it heals. There are, I think, Tommy John alternatives. I know Nick Anderson of the Braves had the UCL brace procedure. That could get you back maybe in six months or faster, maybe. But it's 
pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point for Otani. If he wants to pitch at the level that he has, he's probably going to have to get his elbow repaired again in some way, shape, or form, and the likely outcome of that is Tommy John, but that has not obviously been decided. Uh, the Tommy John procedure that he underwent was in October of 2018, and if he undergoes it again, obviously he would not be on the mound at any point in the 2024 season, and this is a crazy, crazy development in what was about to be, I think, and still could be. I mean, let's just point out that Shohei Otani is still Shohei Otani, even if he has to take a year off from pitching. Guys come back from Tommy John surgery. Otani came back from Tommy John surgery, but the timing before baseball's biggest free agent bonanza that we'll have ever seen for a top pitcher, top hitter, same guy, what's that contract going to be? $50 million a year? $60 million a year? $600 million in total? $700 million? I saw somebody throw that out a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I don't know who's going to line up and be able to pay $700 million, but, hey, there are teams out there that are going to be bidding for his services, and that bidding war could still uh, be an extremely high bar. $450 million, I think, is still in play for this guy. Above that, beyond that, I don't know. And the future of him on the mound was a big component and a big selling point of signing Shohei Otani for all that money because he can, in fact, do things that nobody else in baseball can do to the level in which he's doing it. And the only time that you're a- even able to get a, co- a comparable you know, peer for what Otani's done, it's Babe Ruth. I don't know if we talk about Babe Ruth as much on the show anymore or you know these days, but Babe Ruth was the biggest superstar in baseball. And he pretty much put baseball, I think, on, on the map in a lot of ways. Maybe the biggest superstar in American sports. We can have that debate some other time on some other show. Maybe somebody else can handle that. But either way, when you look at baseball history, Babe Ruth's a rather pivotal character. And the fact that you've got Shohei Otani doing things that we have not seen since the likes of Babe Ruth and doing it at the same time. Remember, Ruth gave up pitching, by and large, so that he could go become the slugger that he became. Shohei Otani was doing both. And that, I think, is special. But you don't need me to tell you that because if you're listening to the show, and you've got a pair of eyes, and you've watched Shohei Otani, you know exactly how good he is. The interesting things about this injury, though, and some of the aftermath of that, was that Otani had been dealing with a couple of arm-related ailments. Uh, One of them was some cramping in his hand in Seattle uh, a little while back. I think uh, August the 3rd was the date of that. And when he returned to the mound in San Francisco, six days later, he threw 97 pitches over six innings, uh, and then cited some arm fatigue. Well, Otani and his side of things, his agency, declined to have any imaging done at that time. And as it turns out, after this most recent start on Wednesday, they got the imaging done and found that it was a much bigger deal. So I'm sure that the Angels are obviously trying to, you know, stand by their player, also stand by their decision to allow the player to you know, kind of decide exactly where he wants to go medically forward and if he felt that an MRI was necessary. But the handling of this heading into free agency clearly is going to have, I think, some ramifications and some discussions about how the Angels uh, dealt with all of that. But just terrible news as far as the Shohei Otani thing is concerned. And hopefully he's able to get the surgery, come back, and you know, resume doing what he's done. But, you know, and I say this, obviously, with, with all the respect in the world, if he's not able to come back to that level and pitch, he could still have an outstanding Hall of Fame career as a hitter. And not many people, nay anyone, can say that they get to do that. Elsewhere across baseball, the White Sox made some big moves as they fired their vice president, Ken Williams, and their general manager, Rick Hahn, this past week. Uh, Ken Williams had been with this club for a very, very long time, I believe about three decades. He was a player for the White Sox in the late 80s, early 90s, but began working in the front office in 1992. He had been the general manager. He was the GM for the 2005 World Series winning team and uh, ultimately 
when you look at where the White Sox have been, especially the last few years, they just have not, despite some considerable talent, been able to put it all together in an American League Central that honestly should be theirs for the taking. It should be somebody's for the taking. It's typically become a division that since 2020 has not really had the kind of firepower that some other divisional races have had. And again, the White Sox have had a pretty talented roster over the past few years, but they have really, really underperformed. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf obviously is the owner of the White Sox, and I think there's some questions about that. I know I saw a lot of uh, commentary on social media about, well, whenever Jerry Reinsdorf fires himself, they'll really have solved the White Sox problems from a leadership standpoint. But being as that's typically not an option for most owners, they will be on the search for a new team president and a new general manager. And again, it hasn't been the talent on the field that's been the big problem. It was a really questionable decision a year ago for Reinsdorf to bring in Tony La Russa and put him in charge of that club. And you can't lay all of the blame at La Russa's feet, but that certainly didn't help for what became a clubhouse and uh, an on-field product that just was not able to sync up and do the things that a team like that should have done. So some big news with a GM and a team president fired uh, over the course of the past week. Meanwhile, a career coming to an end for a World Series MVP Steven Strasburg, one of the most heralded prospects in the history of baseball, exploded onto the scene in 2010. Many people, myself included, were glued to the TV to watch that first outing and to see just how big of a superstar Steven Strasburg was going to become. And as it turned out, he helped the Nationals win the World Series, and that, I think, will be a big part of his legacy. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. The Willie Mays Most Valuable Player Award presented by Chevrolet goes to Steven Strasburg of the Washington Nationals. Steven had two pivotal victories in the World Series and a great postseason run. Congratulations on it. It's just surreal. And, um, you know, to be able to do it with this group of guys is just something special. You know, we didn't quit. And, uh, I love every one of those guys. It took all of us to do it. 2019 World Series MVP, Steven Strasburg, right there. And I think that was the, the crown jewel of what he was able to accomplish over his decade plus in the majors. And uh, Strasburg, just 35 years old, signed a huge contract, five years, $175 million with the Washington Nationals after winning that World Series MVP. And unfortunately, has not been able to live up to that contract. Actually, it was a seven-year, excuse me, $245 million contract. That was what was left on it uh, after the first couple of seasons of injury. And for Strasburg, he has only been able to throw about 31 innings since signing that huge contract and had to deal with thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, He also had Tommy John surgery earlier in his career. A lot of arm issues for Steven Strasburg and just not able to crank it up and pitch again. So the decision to retire Uh, Upcoming, I believe, a September the 9th press conference is what was being discussed for him to call it a career. But uh, three-time All-Star, 13 years, 113 wins, 62 losses, 324 ERA, and over 1,700 strikeouts and less than 250 career starts. I think he got a little bit further down the road than did Mark Pryor, but it always kind of, you know, brings up the thoughts of, you know, different guys for different reasons. Injuries, of course, was a huge part for uh, Mark Pryor and a, a huge part for Kerry Wood not having the careers you thought that they might have. Doc Gooden, a little bit of a different story, clearly. But just you kind of ask, what if? Like, What if this guy had been able to stay healthy? What if this guy had been able to pitch 15 years without having to deal with major injury? I think we were talking about a Hall of Fame arm. But unfortunately for Steven Strasburg, that was not the way for him. But good luck to him on whatever comes next. And 
uh, in case you're wondering, there has been no real announcement about what the financial outcome is for the next couple of years that he is owed on that contract. Uh, meanwhile, out in Oakland, a season in which you might have expected this, well, the news was made official before we got to September. The A's became the first team eliminated from MLB playoff contention during their what can only be called a historically bad season that was perpetrated on purpose by owner John Fisher in his zeal for getting his team moved to Las Vegas. And that, of course, is in process as well. But uh, the Oakland Athletics were eliminated from postseason contention over the weekend. They're 38-92, and 34 and a half games out of a playoff spot with 32 games to play. Uh, the A's, meanwhile, if you're curious, are on pace for 115 losses this season. There are only three clubs in baseball history that have lost more than 115 games. The 62 Mets, 120. 2003 Tigers lost 119. And the 1916 Philadelphia Athletics, eh, the A's, 117 losses uh, just over a century ago. So uh, those are the things that are going on out in Oakland. None of them are good, and some of them, most of them, all of them, are going to be moving to Vegas very soon. Let's wrap up with something a little bit better from the American League West. The Seattle Mariners are a red-hot team. They may be the hottest team in baseball right now. And if you look at what they're doing and how they're doing it, well, it's built on the backs of an offense that has really taken off, and their young super, superstar, Julio Rodriguez, is right in the middle of all that. Oh boy. Julio, deep drive, right, left field. That is home run number 50. In his great young career, becomes the fastest player in Mariners history to reach 50 home runs. Does it in game number 256. Pretty impressive stuff, and when you think about that franchise, there was a certain 19-year-old who came up in 1989 by the name of George Kenneth Griffey Jr., who also did some pretty good things at a young age. But first two seasons for Julio Rodriguez have been absolutely outstanding. He's a 2020 club member as well in his first two years in the big leagues, but this is all part of what the Mariners have been doing. They came into the 101st game of the season with a 50-50 and record. They were partial sellers at the trade deadline, but since game 101 of the season, they've gone 23-6. and six. They have stormed to the top of the American League West as the Rangers have kind of stumbled. The Astros have most certainly stumbled. And now the door's kind of open for the Seattle Mariners to maybe make a run in the West and make that run through October that they were really thinking about after making it to the postseason a year ago. We'll see if this Mariners team can remain red hot over the course of the final month of this season and then make that run through October. That's what's going on around the big leagues this week, but when we come back, we will continue our discussion of some of the big things around baseball and a little bit about this historic Braves offense. I'll be joined by Ben Verlander of Fox Sports. He's the brother of Justin Verlander. He's got a podcast, Flipping Bats is what it's called. We'll check in with him and get some conversation going about some of the big stories across baseball, including what went on with Shohei Otani this past week. That's coming up next here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. More from the Diamond with Graham McCauley. Brought to you by Mark Spain Real Estate. Get a guaranteed offer from Mark Spain Real Estate. 855-299-SOL. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Live from the Kia Studios on a Sunday as we continue our look around the big leagues. But we're going to talk Braves and everything else with a man who does that on his very own show. It's called Flipping Bats. His name is Ben Verlander. Ben, great to see you. Great to talk to you. And man, do we have a lot to get into today. 
Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I want to lead off with the Braves offense. This has been a tour de force all year long. I've you know grown up watching this club. I've covered this club for uh, over a decade and a half now, and it is crazy to see the level to which the Braves offense has now taken it. Best lineup I've ever seen in Braves franchise history, and the home runs, I think, are the thing that bear it out. Uh, on pace to shatter the single-season franchise record of 249 homers. They head into the weekend with 240 against the Giants. They're on pace for 308 home runs on the year, which is right in line with the 307 record-setting Minnesota Twins of 2019. When you look at this Braves lineup, I, I kind of break it down like this. There's power, and there's powerful lineups. And then there's what the Braves are doing. Yeah, it, it is unprecedented. The pace they're on... Uh, home run wise power wise is obviously uh, historic but it's not just that it's everything throughout the lineup there's no easy out mm. um and i said this the other day the thing that makes the atlanta braves the atlanta braves this year is seven eight nine in their lineup that's what separates them from everybody else i mean everybody was an all-star the whole infield and the number nine hitter in their lineup is above league average and ops it's remarkable how good and how deep that lineup is. And I actually, I said this a few months ago as well. I do believe this is the best Braves team of all time. And wow. that's not just, I grew up a Braves fan. I grew up uh, in Richmond, Virginia, 10 minutes from the Richmond Braves stadium, mm -hmm. went to a ton of those games. Braves were on TBS every single night. I was watching them every single night. Chipper and Andrew were my favorite players. John Smoltz was my favorite pitcher. And I, I was a massive Braves fan, and um, th that was a pretty good time to be a Braves fan as well. I really do. I believe this is the best Atlanta Braves team that I've ever seen, and it's because of how good that lineup is. And, and the lineup gets all the talk, but, man, the pitching staff, and that hasn't even been healthy the majority of the year, right. is so good when they're healthy and on the mound. It really is a special team this year. It certainly is, because you've got all the pieces that are there for something really special to happen, and that's the crazy thing about baseball. I mean, as long as you've been watching, I've been watching, a lot of people out there listening to it, maybe even longer than both of us have even been alive in some cases. But when you see a team that can get on a run in October and get hot, you can make some history. But when you see a club where all of the pieces seem to be in place throughout the course of the season and maybe coming together at the right time, getting healthy in the pitching staff, to your point, the Braves offense could take this to the next level because of the pitching staff they're going to be supporting. I want to talk a little bit about Matt Olson because he's in the middle of all of this, having the best season of his career. Some very deserved MVP talk, even though there's another MVP candidate in this lineup and Ronald Acuna Jr. having a historic season. But Matt has a chance to break a franchise record himself of Andrew Jones' 51 home runs in a single season set in 2005. He's on pace for 55. Olsen is as of Friday. What are you seeing from Matt Olsen this year that's maybe just taking his game, which was already pretty powerful, to the next level here in 2023? I think the big thing for him has been consistency. I think throughout his career, this isn't an anomaly. Matt Olsen has been very good throughout his career. The difference this year has been he's been consistently really good and he's very streaky throughout his career he'll go on stretches where he's one of the best in baseball and then he'll go through a really rough patch and this year it just feels like he's done better at eliminating the majority of those rough patches that everybody goes through throughout the year i'm not saying he hasn't had any because he does but a game of baseball is about learning how to deal with failure and the quicker you can do it and the quicker you can get out of ruts uh, the better you're going to be for it. And I think this is really the first year from Matt Olson that we've gotten to see 
the majority good. He's really done a good job minimizing those rough patches and putting together a season where he's getting out of that quickly, and that's why I think we're seeing what we're seeing from him. Yeah, and that flip in the lineup that sent him to the number four spot and elevated Ozzie Albies to the two spot, that may be one of the great lineup changes I've ever seen because Ozzie, clearly, as one of the top RBI men in baseball, and wouldn't you expect that out of the guy who might be 5'8 on a good day, and then, of course, Matt Olson with all the power that he's got in the middle of the order, behind Austin Riley and in front of a resurgent Marcelo Zuna and Eddie Rosario. And to your point, I kind of want to go back to this as well because I think it speaks to Olson's success and everybody else's. And something that Matt has actually said a few times this year, my success is kind of a byproduct of how good everyone else is in the lineup. And I don't feel that there's a lot of pressure that I have to be the one guy to come through because we've got threats one through nine. So if you're a pitcher... How exactly do you game plan for the Atlanta Braves? Because, you know, it's no secret. You'll look at a lineup and say, okay, I don't want to let this guy beat me. I want to be careful here. This is where I'm going to go get my outs, and here's how I'm going to attack this lineup. But the Braves lineup doesn't really afford you the ability to say, here are the outs, and let me work backwards from there. Yeah, the lineup is <laughs> very difficult to game plan for. But one, you say, I don't let Ronald Acuna Jr. beat me. That's one. And, uh, you know, like with, with Ozzy top of the lineup you'd rather face him hitting left-handed than right i mean there's only but so much you can do though yeah so it's a very tough game plan and to your point of what you were just saying with olsen and, and all these and those guys is what makes them so good this year is when an offense is going well there's a snowball effect mm -hmm. and you see that with everybody you know that's how offenses score six, seven, eight runs in an inning at times because it's a snowball effect. And that's how offenses, good offenses, get no hit because it's the same in reverse. With this Braves team, there's so many really good hitters that that snowball effect, if you will, is kicking into effect more often. And, and hitting is contagious. And if you have those guys around you continuously hitting, then it's going to help you throughout your season. And that's what we're seeing with them. And I don't know how you game plan for them. You have your guys you don't let beat you. Uh, normally there's one in a lineup and I just feel like the Braves probably have three in their lineup that they're okay this guy can't beat you this guy can't beat you and this guy can't beat you and then you look at the lineup and it's like well shoot they're hitting right next to each other what do what do we do I don't think many teams have figured out the answer to that no I would say not because of right about the time that you think you've figured that out well here comes Marcelo Zuna with a big home run or Eddie Rosario hits a go-ahead grand slam I mean it has been again like I said earlier truly a, a tour de force and that snowball you mentioned a lot of times that thing starts rolling in the first inning and it doesn't really show any signs of stopping throughout the course of a game chatting with Ben Verlander of Fox Sports he's the host of the Flippin' Bats podcast you can get that wherever you get your podcast he joins me here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on the waitfor.com hotline on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game uh, you've had a chance to catch up with an all-time great Brave quite a bit here lately one of your favorite pitchers perhaps your favorite pitcher at least growing up you might have a, a different one now uh, but I had him on the show last week the Hall of Famer John Smoltz he always has such great insights into pitching for obvious reasons, but I know you guys are having a lot of fun hitting some of the other stories around baseball because Smoltzy does have that national baseball gig and gets to see an awful lot of all 30 teams. Yeah, it's been really cool. Every Saturday this year, John Smoltz comes on my show, Flipping Bats, and, you know, I've said this a few times on the show, it's always like a, you know, don't want to sound too cheesy, but it's like a pinch-me moment every yeah. time because... Growing up in the 90s, watching my favorite team, the Atlanta Braves, seeing John Smoltz do what he was doing in that rotation with Glavin and Maddox. You know, if you were to tell 
10-year-old Ben that one day you'd have a, a baseball show and John Smoltz would be on it every single week. I don't know if I'd believe you, <laughs> but I'd sure be happy. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been awesome and now has turned into something that I really look forward to and I think he looks forward to. And we really do have about 15, 20 minutes of just an awesome baseball conversation, which is what I love to do. You know, I, I played for as long as I could, uh, played for five years professionally, but I truly believe I was put on earth to talk baseball and to be able to do that with John Smoltz is really cool. And I asked him about that what I was saying earlier in the year that I think this is the best Braves team, Atlanta Braves team I've ever seen. What do you think about that as a guy that if there is an argument, it's one of your teams, you know, it's, it's one of those nineties teams that mm -hmm. are 14 in a row. And he said, you know, there were some good ones and you can go back a little further and find some good ones as well. But I, I do think this could be the best Atlanta Braves team of all time. And to hear him say that was rather uh, validating for the thought that I had. Yeah, it, it definitely comes with a lot of validation. And John Smoltz has been in town here recently calling some Braves games. I mentioned I got a chance to catch up with him as well. And, you know, everybody, whether it's John Smoltz or Tom Glavin or you know, Chipper Jones was doing the broadcast recently. And, of course, he's working with a lot of these hitters. You know, the praise is effusive for what this lineup can do. And uh, clearly that's a big part of the Braves' success here in 2023 with a couple of months of success they hope still out in front of them. Uh, why don't we hit a few topics across baseball and none bigger, unfortunately, than the news about Shohei Otani this week. Torn UCL that ends his season on the mound, but he is going to DH for the remainder of the year for the Angels. Obviously, he'll have to make a big decision to chart his course as a pitcher going forward. He's experienced Tommy John surgery in the past. And uh, gosh, this story has so many different angles. What was your initial reaction to hearing the news about Shohei Otani and the injury to the elbow? The initial reaction was just heartbreak yeah. for him, for the game of baseball. And, you know, that might be a dramatic word, but what he's meant to the game this year, specifically with Baseball is skyrocketing right now. Attendance is up almost 10% and so many different reasons and factors for that. But one of those is him. I mean, he's the greatest that I've ever seen. I think mm -hmm. I, the greatest we've ever seen, I think, mm -hmm. and, and that's fair to say. And just to have the season end on the mound the way it has, it's tough. And, you know, I think what makes it so difficult is the uncertainty of the future and if I were a betting man, I'd say he's probably going to have to get Tommy John and, and not pitch next year. And yeah, just it, it's a tough blow for the game of baseball. I feel awful for him uh, as a guy that has gotten to know him over the last year plus to realize how much this guy cares about the game and about baseball and changing the landscape of the baseball world as we know it, which I believe he has. Yeah. Uh, but but knowing him and knowing that's how he is and it just it sucks for him and I, I feel really really bad for him as he's getting ready to enter this unprecedented offseason yeah obviously the next steps free agency for him this injury will have some kind of impact on that but it's hard not to focus on the still potentially crazy and record-breaking contract that is likely to be out there even if this may change some of the dynamics of that but to your point I mean, Shohei Otani showed us things that we did not think it was possible for one man to do on a baseball field. We've seen great pitchers. We've seen great hitters. We have not seen anything the likes of Shohei Otani. So hopefully he's able to get that all sorted out. Uh, speaking of great pitchers, I did want to ask you a little bit about this season for the Verlanders. Your brother, Justin, one of the big signings for the New York Mets over the winter. Clearly things for that club did not pan out this year. 
the future is changing as well for that team. We'll see, you know, how they're able to kind of rebound and, you know, reassess and reorganize up there. Uh, but there was a trade this season that sent Justin in a very familiar direction back to Houston. This had to have been a crazy ride for him and to find out that the Astros uh, were interested in this reunion still to this point and to find his way back there. I would imagine that's about as good as you could draw up a potential trade scenario when you went into a season, probably with trade as far away from your mind as possible. Yeah, it was quite the whirlwind, you know? Like, I I watched his first game back in an Astros uniform, and it was weird, you know, to have so much of, obviously, his life, but our, our family's life since 2017 become about the Astros, and his whole career was the Detroit Tigers, so that switch was crazy for everybody and then to have it end in the perfect way i mean one of the best seasons ever for a pitcher coming off of tommy john certainly one of the best seasons ever for a pitcher his age Mm -hmm. um to win the cy young award to win the world series i mean it was like the perfect storybook ending and it was like okay book closed once he realized that he was moving on you know you obviously don't close it if he was going to resign there but the second you realize, okay, I'm going to the Mets, it was, all right, that's the end of this story. That's the perfect ending. And then fast forward, in terms of his baseball pitching, because he missed the first month of the year, fast forward a couple of months and he's back in an Astros uniform. Yeah. It's like, all right, open it back up. Here we go. It really was weird to see, but you quickly realize, you know, I, I watch him back in the dugout and seeing him – first day back talking to really good friends and I don't think many people understand how difficult a a trade is you know like he's got a family you know Mm -hmm. my sister-in-law my niece I mean he's got a family it's difficult to just up and move across the country whenever you want you know it's a lot easier as a single guy just trying to get by in life but to move your family to New York and then all that happened and go back to Houston and it was such a whirlwind and now to see him there settled in and after his last start uh just talking to him about how he's figured it out like he just feels like his mechanics he figured it out and it's it's really cool to see him back there in Houston and and thriving again on the mound for sure but a wild journey this year yeah crazy road and baseball has a few of those but Ben Verlander, appreciate everything, all your time here, and let everybody know about Flipping Bats, where they can find it, and uh, maybe what you got coming up. Yeah, of course, Grant. Thanks for having me, as uh, as usual. Always appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's called Flipping Bats with Ben Verlander. It's wherever you listen to your podcast, and this year has been so much fun. And I bring up obviously John Smoltz on once a week. I bring a, a player on once a week. I just had Gunnar Henderson on a couple days ago. I had Austin Riley earlier in the year, who uh, I love Austin Riley. So. Uh, Yeah, it's just been a blast of a show and playoffs and World Series will be on the road there. So I wouldn't doubt it one bit if I end up here in Atlanta in just a couple of weeks. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. And maybe in a couple of months, you might be rolling around in Atlanta. Who knows where the road's going to take us by the time we get to October. Ben, appreciate all your time and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. He's been Verlander of Fox Sports, flipping bats wherever you get your podcast. Check it out there. Appreciate his time. When we come back, we'll turn our focus back to the Atlanta Braves and the week to come as they continue their road trip. And we'll do it next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. See. 
taking a look around the league with more of our From the Diamond with Grant McCullough. From the Diamond is brought to you by Window Nation. Get two windows free with every two you buy and pay nothing for two years on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you as we wrap up this edition of the show. Take another look at what's going on with the Atlanta Braves and, of course, the week ahead as Atlanta continues its road trip. Had a lot of good Braves discussion on the show thus far. If you happen to miss uh, a conversation I just had with Ben Verlander of Fox Sports, be sure you check it out. Wherever you get your podcast, you, you can subscribe to From the Diamond there. You can find it on the Odyssey app as well. And if you need any links for all these kinds of things, fromthediamond.com is a place for that. You can also find me on social at Grant McCauley on most platforms. So take a look out there, and I'll have all those links and fun things for you. But as you know, I like to have lots of Braves discussions and we got a little bit of time left and a few more things to cover. And in particular, as we started the show and talked about the reasons why the Atlanta Braves were starting to feel like a club that is, well, 40 games over 500, has the best record in baseball, and has what they hope is a date with destiny come October, is that the starting pitching has started to really find itself over the last couple of weeks. This rotation as a team, you know, if anybody was out there kind of watching and wondering, like, what is the maybe one weakness that this Braves club has? Well, some people will point to the bullpen because every once in a while, you're going to lose a game that you were leading late. You're also going to win a few games that you were probably trailing late in a game as well. And those seem to have evened out pretty well for the Braves. And by and large, you look at the numbers for the bullpen, as I talked about earlier on, you know, you've got the second best bullpen ERA in baseball. It's not the end-all, beat-all stat, but it will tell you that for the most part, this is a group that's getting the job done. The starting rotation, though, I think was the area that a lot of people were kind of focused on coming out of the trade deadline because the Braves didn't go out and acquire a starter. They were looking at getting Max Fried back in their rotation. He is back. I think Max Fried has looked pretty good thus far, and I think he could look better as he goes forward and just gets more reps, more innings, and gets that opportunity to really sharpen some things up in advance of October. But you needed to see the guys that really did the heavy lifting all season long just continue to make their contributions. But simultaneously, it felt like Spencer Strider would encounter a bad start. Bryce Elder had a couple of bad starts. Charlie Morton had a couple of bad starts. And it was all happening at the same time. And even Max Fried had a hiccup in the middle of all that. And then you had what was going on in the fifth spot of the rotation, which was a complete lack of clarity. And, you know, going out and getting a waiver claim, Yanni Chirinos, who, despite the fact the Braves won four of the five games he pitched, it did not give you a lot of faith about what was happening when he was taking the mound because of the amount of runs that he was giving up to the tune of a 926 ERA in those five starts. So more to the focus of what the Braves needed to see, it wasn't, well, who can be the fifth starter at this point in the season when you're doing what this club has done all year long. It's, can we get everybody right and heading in the correct direction, uh, you know, heading into October? The Braves starters are topping MLB with 13 wins this month. Uh, they're only 13th, though, with a 421 ERA. You might be asking, well, how exactly does that work? Well, you know, the Braves offense is a big factor in this, but also Braves starting pitchers not named Yanni Chirinos have a 334 ERA this month. That is the aforementioned group. Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, Bryce Elder, Max Fried, and the likes. You take out the seven runs allowed by Alan Winans, that ERA drops just a little bit more uh, recently. But Alan Winans also tossed seven scoreless innings prior to that, so maybe that cancels itself out. But you can see that the top four in the Braves rotation has been doing what it needs to do. And most importantly, I think, coming out of that trade deadline and not, if you're not deciding to go get a starter was built in large part on knowing that Max Fried was ready to return. And as I talked about on the show, what, three weeks ago, almost four weeks ago, how many Major League Baseball clubs at the trade deadline were having to make their decisions and did not have the ace of their staff potentially walking back through that door in the next five to seven days? I would say the other 29 teams were all in that boat because the Braves were just in a unique situation. 
And it wasn't just getting back your third or fourth starter. This is getting back a front-of-the-rotation starter. And when you consider the ones that were traded over the course of the trade deadline and the cost of those and even the cost of the back end of the rotation, the kind of the guys that you would use to stabilize, I guess, if you will, well, some of those were pretty pricey. And many of those, save maybe Lance Lynn with the Dodgers, who I still don't have a lot of faith in that lasting for the remainder of the year, but hey, it was maybe not as much cost for the Dodgers in that regard. But some of the other guys, even Michael Lorenzen threw a no-hitter. Now he's getting knocked around. Lucas Giolito's been roughed up. Jack Flaherty has not been particularly good either for the Baltimore Orioles. And there was some injury concern in the midst of all of that. So nothing is promised that just because you went out and got somebody knew that it was going to be better than what you had. And I think the Braves knew that they had something good coming back in the person of Max Fried. Now, Max was out there against the San Francisco Giants on Saturday, helped the Braves pick up that 7-3 win. And I think is most importantly, perhaps on his stat line, I mean, the six innings and the quality start and the two earned runs allowed, yeah, those are all great. But back-to-back games, right around that 100-pitch mark. When he came back from the injured list, you still felt like maybe 75, 85 pitches was what the Braves were looking at. How long was that going to go on? Because at some point, I'm sure Max Freed, and I know he did in Pittsburgh when he had that bad inning and Really wanted to go out and throw another frame, but he knew his day was probably done because he had expended all the bullets they were going to allow him that day. You wanted to know when Max Fried was going to be able to go out and compete with little to no restriction and kind of feel like himself again. Well, he's still working on all of that, still trying to sharpen a few things up. And Max, you know, even though the Braves won by a 7-3 to score, he had a very honest um, assessment of what exactly he did on Saturday. Here's Braves pitcher Max Fried. I feel like it's getting better. Definitely feel like it's time where I need to start getting better. No giving up less walks, less hard contact. Definitely, you know, not happy about giving up that homer, especially uh, to give up the lead. But the guys did an unbelievable job battling and fighting back and working to, uh, you know, get a couple runs across. And I was just happy to be able to, to hold it and then hand it off to the bullpen. It's been incredible. Now, the bullpen has done some great work for the Braves. They were able to close it out, three innings of one-run ball after Freed was done with another quality start, six in, uh, six innings and two earned runs. He struck out eight against San Francisco. That matched the eight batters he punched out against the Cubs when he came back after a 90-day, and exactly 90-day layoff. Uh, and then you look at this game log, and you saw the six scoreless innings against Chicago. Max Freed looked like Max Freed. The four earned runs in four innings against Pittsburgh, not as much. Then two earned runs in six innings against the New York Yankees to pick up a win there. Five and two-thirds innings of three-run ball against the Giants last time out at Truist Park, and then comes back out and sees them, what, five days later, and is able to toss a better start at the same club. And as we've seen, that can be challenging at times, but when you're Max Freed and you've got five pitches at your disposal, and he was really utilizing that curveball on Sunday, I'd love to see that. I felt like that had him finding the answers he needed to find on the mound. Now, you do the work in between the starts. You continue to get the reps, the up-downs, as we talked about earlier. And you see Max Freed kind of rounding himself into form as we head into September. Now, you looked at a couple of the other members of this Braves rotation. How about Spencer Strider, last couple of outings? He has punched out 19 batters and allowed just one run over the last two starts. You track him back a little further than that. He's at 21 innings and just one earned run allowed, one run of any nature allowed. And his 20-inning scoreless streak was snapped in the seventh inning against the San Francisco Giants a couple of nights ago. But uh, 25 strikeouts in those 21 innings. Looks very Spencer Strider-like. And a little bit of strikeout history for Spencer as well. He became just the fourth Braves pitcher since 1900 to strike out 230 batters in a season. That might sound like an arbitrary cutoff point, and maybe it is. 
But the fact that the only other guys who have done it, the last one was Javi Vasquez in 2009, 238 strikeouts for him. Then you had John Smoltz, who did it twice, 96 and 97. And you had Phil Necro, who did it in the late 70s, 77 and 78. And that's the list. And Spencer Strider, I think he's going to be on a lot of lists when it comes to pitching records, particularly strikeouts, with John Smoltz and Phil Necro, who have the top two strikeout totals in the franchise's history. But the fun thing I think about Spencer Strider is not just what he does on the mound, but the personality of Spencer is truly unique. Last year, he finished one and two in the Rookie of the Year award with Michael Harris II. And there's a phenomenon that seems to go on every fifth day where Spencer goes out to make his start and do his thing. And that usually involves a lot of strikeouts and the Braves winning a baseball game. And on the offensive side, it seems to be Michael Harris picking up a couple of three hits, maybe hitting a home run, making a great diving catch, whatever it is. But Spencer Strider was talking about the phenomenon of he and Michael Harris and what happens every fifth day for this Braves club. Take a listen. And you told Michael to stop showing you up on your starts. Is that true? Yeah, he needs to relax a little or at least start giving me some of his pay every five days because something about me pitching is helping him play. So um, not that he doesn't play well every, every day. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we were sitting there before the game eating, and um, I almost said to him, like, oh, well, probably going to have good games today, huh? And so, of course, he... He had a good game, so glad I could help him. Yeah, well, I think everyone's helping everybody at this point. That was Kelly Crawl of Valley Sports asking that question because there is just there's a camaraderie, a kinship, whatever you want to call it. And you know, those two guys, obviously their paths crossing in the rookie of the year, you know, battle a year ago, but two huge parts of the Brave success in twenty twenty two. No surprise they're doing it again in twenty twenty three. And if you watch those uh post game, you know, press conferences and whatnot. I mean, there's a lot of shirts that are out there with different members of the Braves on them. You'll find Spencer Strider doing his postgame availability, wearing that Michael Harris II shirt, and you'll see Michael Harris II walking around, maybe doing that pregame interview, wearing a Spencer Strider shirt. You can just tell these are some guys that really enjoy playing with one another and having some fun like that as well. Charlie Morton, meanwhile, he's been having some fun the last couple of outings, I would say, and he's looked, I think, as good in his last two starts as, as any time in a Braves uniform for him. Seven innings against the New York Mets last time out. A season-high 11 strikeouts for Charlie, who allowed just two hits and one walk. Circle that one in red. That followed up his start against the New York Yankees, where he tossed six innings of four-run ball, or excuse me, four-hit ball with no runs, one walk and 10 strikeouts. And this followed, these two starts, with one walk and double-digit strikeouts, followed a five-inning scoreless outing against the Mets with seven walks. Now, I know that was a baffling line, and and Charlie, we heard him on the show a couple of weeks ago trying to kind of make sense of how exactly a seven-walk outing occurred and what exactly was going on and how in the world nobody scored during that one. That's also great. But I feel like he started to unlock a few things to figure out release point, where he needed to be, the adjustments that he could make over these last two starts, one against the Yankees and one against the New York Mets. Now, if you get Charlie Morton going at this rate, And you know his postseason pedigree. I think it speaks for itself. And this is a guy that for the Rays in 2021 was out there helping him through the first couple of rounds of the postseason and even continued pitching on a broken leg in the World Series. He hasn't really felt like he's been that level of Charlie Morton for an entirety of a season. In 2022, it started slowly. In 2023, there's just been some ups and downs. But if he's able to dial things in and give the Braves these kind of performances, you start to feel pretty good about this postseason rotation when you're thinking about Max Fried being back and healthy. Spencer Strider has the kind of stuff that was just built for October. And I say that with respect to Charlie Morton because he's got the power pitcher profile that has led to a lot of October success. You get those guys healthy, which they weren't in the 2022 NLDS, 
you could be seeing a very different Braves club and a very different outcome for this Braves club considering the offensive firepower that they have as well. But the fact that you've got Max Reed kind of rounded into form, Spencer Strider putting up a couple of great outings, a few great outings in a row now, and Charlie Morton suddenly throwing some of his best games, this has to get you feeling a little bit better about what the Braves rotation is right now and what it could be in the most important games of the season. And then you throw in what Bryce Elder's been able to do here lately. I think he started to right the ship as well. Bryce with seven scoreless innings, one hit against the New York Yankees in a winning effort. And then last time out against the New York Mets, one run on three hits over five and a third innings. And I think if you're being realistic about Bryce Elder, if he can get you into the sixth inning allowing a run or two or throw you a quality start, you put it with the offense, you're going to figure out a way to win a lot of games. And the Braves have certainly done that with Bryce Elder this year. And even though he had a couple of hiccups in and around the all-star break and coming out into the second half, I think he's capable of at least keeping the Braves in that game. So that four lines up pretty well. And then we've got Kyle Wright working his way back, making his rehab starts down in the minor leagues right now. Probably three more of those to go. The Braves can mix and match some of their minor league names to maybe help rest the rotation, reset the rotation for some important series as they go forward. We'll see how all of that plays out. And that's a role that Bryce Elder played marvelously in 2022 and parlayed that into success in all-star season in 2023. So that's what's going on in the Braves starting rotation. And uh, the Braves will continue their road trip as coming up. They've got three games in Colorado, all 8.40 p.m. Eastern time starts. And then a four-game series with the L.A. Dodgers will be coming your way Thursday through Sunday. And that's going to be a big one. That's one a lot of folks are going to have their eyes on. Braves and Dodgers could be on a collision course come October. They're going to be on a collision course come the end of this week. That'll wrap things up for today's show. My thanks, as always, to Garrett Chapman for helping me out here, keeping the show on the rails. My thanks to Ben Verlander for joining the show earlier. And you got to hear from Kyle Wright, from Jesse Chavez. Make sure you check it out. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find From the Diamond. You can find me next Sunday right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I'm Grant McCauley. Until then, so long, everyone. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 